Take your Bibles and we will consider tonight that God calls us by the gospel. That God calls us by the gospel. We will be in 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter, and our attention will be specifically to verses 13 and 14, but let me read for you uh, from 13 all the way down to verse 17 and 18. The Bible says this. Sorry, I'm in 1 Thessalonians. That's why it looks strange for a moment to me. <laughs> there it is. Here we go. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits, or as you see in the margin, from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and by belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by a spoken word or by our letter. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, the God of our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work. Tonight, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's consider the big picture around the gospel. The sport of baseball is a difficult sport, not just because it's hard to hit a baseball three inches in diameter coming at you at 100 miles an hour, but also because runs are often scored when successive players get hits. You see, a player can get a single, a double, a triple, but it takes someone else hitting soon after him to make that player get all the way around to home and score his team a run. Now, what we have before us in Second Thessalonians is likewise complex and it's organized, but it's simple and it's delightful as well. Verses 13 through 17 of Second Thessalonians 2 is a transitional section of the letter where it moves from the teaching of what comes previous to the applying of what comes after. This section has three parts. In verses 13 and 14, we see thanksgiving. Verse 15, we see exhortation. Verse 16 and 17, we see a prayer. Our focus is going to be on the thanksgiving section in verses 13 and 14, which is meant to encourage the Thessalonians because they've just heard Paul teaching about the ones who are perishing who will be deceived one day by the man of sin. question is, will the Thessalonians likewise be deceived? Well, no, because their salvation is certain. And Paul thanks God for the certainty of their salvation in two points. We see in verses 13 and 14 these points, the divine choice and the divine call. So two simple points. The first is that God chose us. Look at verse 13. God chose you as first fruits, or as you see in the margin in the NAS or the King James, from the beginning. And I put in your manuscript what the Greek looks like, and it's almost identical. You've got to remember that the manuscripts were going to be written in capital letters without any accent and all smushed together. So when you compensate for that, 
there's only one letter different between the two. But from what we understand, the Philippians were the first fruits of Paul's ministry. So my understanding is that we would go with the rendering of from the beginning. God chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So we see that God selected us for himself to be saved. That means that God acted on his personal interests. We do that all the time in a mundane way at the grocery store. If you like chips, you go buy chips. If you like Doritos, you get Doritos. If you like Lay's, you get Lay's. If you like the store brand, you get the store brand. But we, every day that we go to the grocery store and come on back, we make choices for our own interests. And later on, we enjoy the choices that we make. Even so, God selected you and me for himself. And God acted to bring about our salvation. And that shows us that salvation is entirely due to God's initiation. Salvation is like creation in a way, because it's of God. God created the heavens and the earth. Their existence is of God. And God chose us to be saved. Our salvation is of God. So this passage tells us that God has acted to bring us to himself question is, when did he make the decision? It says, from the beginning. That's to say that God made this decision before Genesis 1-1. You've probably seen time-lapse videos on a computer of the sun rising and setting on a city and all the cars whirl by and all the shadows change through the day. Now just consider for a moment a time-lapse of all the civilizations ever since Adam and Eve And how the nations rose and fell, how sons and daughters were born, they grew up, they had families, millions of people coming and going here and there. And finally, the time lapse pauses on the city of Thessalonica in the 50s. And Paul asserts that God chose those folks in that church. Was it because of how great they were, how good they were in Thessalonica in the 50s? No. It was because that God made the choice. His choice wasn't a recent choice or a reaction. It was an ancient choice. It was the first cause. But God's work of salvation isn't carried on automatically. Our salvation in time is accomplished by very specific means. And we see two of them in verse 13. First, we see that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. God the Spirit changes us to be more like Christ. We need to think about how that transformation works. Because it's not like the transformation that happens when a sculpture is made. When something is sculpted, a rectangular block is formed into a beautiful statue. And in that situation, we have kind of an innocent form that is made into a masterpiece. But we're not innocent. Instead, we're cursed. We're corrupt. We're crooked. We're dead in sin. We're bankrupt spiritually. And the process of sanctification is both a removal of the worldliness and the addition of Christ-likeness. And the good news is that one day the Spirit will complete his work and there won't be a part of us that's devilish or dull that therefore fails to bring God the glory that's due him. So our salvation in time is realized by our faith in the truth. It's realized by the Spirit sanctifying us. It's also realized by our faith in the truth. And truth today is 
a moving target because it's become kind of like beauty. It's been said that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And now people think that truth is in the eye of the beholder because people think that what they perceive to be reality is the truth. And other people might think something else and that can be true for them. But the truth of the matter is that truth is what matches reality. And we know that truth is what God has said in the Bible, John 17, 17. And that doctrine has fallen on hard times, even in the church because of the eruption of supposed sign gifts, of people who are again working miracles and saying they're receiving direct revelation from God as the prophets and apostles of old received it from God. So when people hear that Jesus is calling, they're just immovable. I mean, that's their experience, and they'll they'll live and die on it no matter what you say to them, it seems, because they've had a vision, and you can't turn them from it. And just recently I had to talk to someone and warn them, um, someone that I had met around town, and remind them the Apostle Peter, who saw Jesus Christ transfigured with his very own eyes, he preferred and prescribed the written word as a more sure witness, 2 Peter 1. We all would have liked to have seen Christ transfigured. But Peter said, I saw that. And we need to give ourselves to what is written in the word of God. The written word of God is the truth, which we heard and believed unto our salvation. And thank God that from the beginning he chose us for himself to be saved. That's the first reason they're supposed to give thanks. The second reason is in verse 14. To this, to this salvation... He, that's God the Father, called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the second point. God called us. That is to say, he drew us to himself in a saving relationship. He summoned us to himself. You remember that Jesus was walking on the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting their nets in the sea, and he called them to follow him. Then he saw James and John who were mending their nets. He called them to follow him. And by Jesus calling them, he drew them to himself. Now, how did God call us? How did he summon us? How did God draw us to himself? He did that through the gospel. Because the gospel is the message that God uses to draw us to him. But as you look at verse 14, notice that it it says this. Not the gospel, but our gospel. That's not to say this gospel was an exclusive gospel to Paul or to the Thessalonians, as if there was other exclusive gospels that other people spoke. This is simply uh, the fact that the Thessalonians heard the gospel through the preaching ministry of Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, as 1 Thessalonians 1.1 says. But this is what we find in the cross-reference, 1 Thessalonians 1.4 and 5. We know, brothers, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So the point is that God uses the external call of the gospel preaching proclamation to internally call, to effectually effectually summons us to himself. There's a reason he does that, because God draws us to himself that we'd share in Christ's glory. The point is that we are going to one day be with Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.17, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. 
What will we see? We will see his glory, the radiance and splendor of his presence. 2 Thessalonians 1.10 says, When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. God wants us to see him. That's even what Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me. So the point is that God has chosen us for himself and called us to himself. And those are reasons that we ought to thank him. But I want to draw our attention to the gospel. And by doing that, I want to draw us back to the beginning of the sermon where I talked about baseball and how difficult a sport it is because it takes stringing together hits in order to get people around the bases in order to get runs. If a team's going to get runs, the team has to rally. And if people are going to become God's children, it requires our proclaiming the gospel. God made a choice of who he would save before the beginning. But the way that that has worked out in time is that those people hear the gospel proclaimed. And I wonder, whom is God prepared to save when we are obedient to share the good news? Father, we pray that you will help us understand how it is that your great salvation that you have planned long ago is worked out in time and in space and how it is that we are to be in sync with that so that when we are obedient to what you've asked us to do in the Great Commission, you do your work of saving people from their sins. And as we have been the beneficiaries of that grace, we pray that we would, with you, um, proclaim the gospel so that you, through the gospel, can call people to yourself. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.